Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in the show. Hey, if you're brand new to the show, if you haven't done so, please take the time to subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast application. You can listen to the show and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Whatever the case may be, it would really mean the world to me if you take the time to subscribe, rate, and review. It does so much to help keep the exposure for the rapidly growing Dose of Leadership show. Seven years running now, and thanks to all your support, it continues to grow. I really do appreciate your support. Jocko Willink is on the show today. Been a long time coming. I've been trying to get him on for a long time, five years at least. He's a retired U.S. Navy SEAL officer, co-author of the New York Times bestseller, Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. His other book, Dichotomy of Leadership, one of my favorites. He's the host of the Top Rated Jocko podcast. He's made a huge, huge dent and huge space in the, in the podcasting world. He's the co-founder of Echelon Front, a premier leadership consulting company where he teaches the leadership principles he learned on the battlefield as a Navy SEAL. He spent 20 years in the SEAL team, starting as an enlisted SEAL, rising to the ranks, becoming a SEAL officer, commanded SEAL Team 3's Task Unit Bruiser during the Battle of Ramadi, a brutal battle. And his unit, Task Unit Bruiser, became the most highly decorated special ops unit in the Iraq War. He returned from Iraq to serve as the officer in charge of all the West Coast training of the SEAL teams, spearheading the development of leadership training and personally instructing and mentoring a whole generation of SEAL leaders. He's a recipient of the Silver Star, Bronze Star, numerous other personal and unit awards. And again, it was a true honor to have him on the show. He's got a brand new book out called Leadership Strategy and Tactics, a field manual. And I love this concept. You know, field manuals in the military, they're written in a really straightforward language, giving you step-by-step instructions to help you complete your mission. And that's the concept behind this this book, to have a, a field manual for leadership. And it's like, you know, something you can pull off the shelf. If, what do you do? How do you handle promotion where you want to lead your peers? You know, how do you deal with the imposter syndrome when you don't feel worthy of your position? Something we've talked about on the show a lot. How do you manage change, change of command and yet be tactful and keep it positive? What are the best methods for administering praise or criticism? How do you accept decisions you you disagree with? We talk about that a lot on this show, one of my favorite topics. How do you build that trust with both your superiors and your peers and those under your command? It's a great concept, a great book. Again, Leadership Strategy and Tactics, a field manual. And that's what we spent most of our conversation talking about was, was this book. It's a fast and furious episode. I didn't get as deep as I'd like to with most of my guests. I didn't feel like I connected with, with Jocko as much as I, I had wished and hoped for. Uh, but I think, you know, he's busy and, and I wasn't on top of my game. But regardless, uh, I'll let you be the judge. There's still a lot of great nuggets in here. And I'm a huge fan of what he does and, and a huge supporter of what he does on the leadership front. So I hope you really enjoy this episode. Look, you, if you listen to the show, you know how I feel about creating a culture of leadership. I think if you look around, even the successful organizations, most organizations are really struggling out there. There's a huge vacuum of excellence in leadership, of creating these, leader, these cultures of leadership. And it is the key to developing a sustainable, significant organization. It's the key to living a, a significant life intentionally, day after day, understanding what it means to be a leader of yourself and a leader in your organization. So if you feel like or in a need for effective leadership development, if you feel like your organization is suffering from mediocre results and that they could use a little kickstart on what it means to be an effective culture of leadership, then I want you to look at my training at Dose of Leadership. That's what I specialize in. That is my passion. My leadership training is a refreshing and effective dose of common sense, time-tested principles that is proven to deliver lasting behavior change in both individuals 
an effective culture improvement overall. I'm not like a traditional consultant. In fact, I don't even like that word consultant. I don't have a bag of tricks or I don't subscribe to flavor of the month methodologies and overly cumbersome process improvement management techniques that typically demand significant investment and additional resources from you. No, I focus my programs inward. If you listen to the show and you know anything about me, you know that I already believe that as individuals and as an organization as a whole, you already have all the tools you need to be an effective and powerful organization of leadership. You don't need any additional resources. If you think we could work together, I guarantee our combined forces would produce an amazing result. Working with me is a unique, customized, collaborative process. A deep personal involvement with you, your personnel, and all your resources. And the bottom line is most engagements with me can be solved within one to six months, but longer engagements are possible. I just finished a 12-month engagement with another client in North Carolina. Regardless of what we do, or the program or the method, how we work together, at the core, I'm going to help you create a leadership culture of decentralized decision-making where the leadership responsibility is spread throughout the entire organization, where senior leaders become effective at strategy and intent, and the middle and below become experts of empowered execution. That is the secret sauce for all my programs. It rests on this philosophy of decentralized control, where inept leadership behaviors, departmental silos, inadequate innovation, and lack of execution become dysfunctions of the past. This sounds like something you're interested in and something that you could use in your organization. Go to doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact form or reach out to me directly at richard at doseofleadership.com and let's see if we can be a fit and start creating that leadership culture that will create an organization and life of significance. All right, on with the show with Jocko Willing here on Dose of Leadership. Jocko, what a thrill to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. You know, I've been wanting to have you on here for a long time. We're, we're reaching our seventh year of the show starting uh, next week in uh I can't think of a better way to kick off 2020 by having you on the show. I got to tell you, I thank you for for doing what you do because when I got laid off from American Airlines, I got out of the Marine Corps in 2001, got hired by American, was only there for a few months and I got laid off, thrust in the corporate arena in 2001. And the idea of decentralized command or commander's intent, um, I've been on a tear for the last 19 years talking about that to a civilian corporation. So I want to thank you for everything that you do because you're a great resource for me to point people to and you give me a lot of backup for those people who kind of doubt me when they say when I say that command commander's intent or decentralized command is is the way to go. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. It's a easy word to spread because it works. That's for sure. Tell me a little bit about when you got out 20 years in the seals and when you got out, did you have the same experience I did when I didn't realize how much the Marine Corps taught me about leadership in life until I was further away from it. When you got out, were you kind of shocked by by what you saw? The the thing that shocked me about when I got out was when I started talking to people about leadership. And I actually started talking to civilians about leadership about six months before I retired. And I immediately was shocked and surprised, pleasantly surprised, that the leadership techniques, tactics, and strategies, principles that I had learned during my time in the military absolutely applied to every business, to every leadership situation. And there are universal leadership principles, strategies, and tactics that work no matter what situation you're trying to lead in and what the scenario is. Yeah. When you're in it, you're around the same bunch of guys, the same group of knuckleheads. You kind of take it for granted, right? Yeah. Well, for me, I, you know, I was kind of institutionalized because my, my whole life, my whole adult life, I'd been basically in a SEAL platoon. So I, I knew that what leadership principles worked in a SEAL platoon or 
in an, in an infantry platoon on, on the battlefield. I knew and understood that. I just didn't realize that they would translate perfectly into the civilian sector. I, yeah, same thing. I agree. I just assumed if you're a multi-million dollar organization, you kind of got the basic concepts of leadership, right? Otherwise, you wouldn't be making so much money. But that's not that's not the case. At least that's what I found. Well, it's definitely not necessarily the case. I mean, you, there's there are some companies that are able to make a lot of money and do well simply because they have a really good product. They they are in a good market. That can happen, but over time, if you don't have good leadership, it's not going to be successful long term. Yeah, it's not going to be sustainable for sure. So let's talk about commander's intent again. This it's it's my favorite topic, my favorite concept. I think a lot of times when I when I talk to people. The, the preconceived notions that they have about the military, about small unit leadership is that it is centralized, meaning that orders are taken from a down high and then we, the peons down below, blindly follow orders. That's why we do all the things in the boot camp. My experience obviously was completely different. It was the most freeing and loving experience that I had of all the organizations because it, it demanded creativity. It demanded um, respect, trust, and it demanded a kind of a maniacal focus on communicating what we want to accomplish and why. Talk to me about your thoughts and concepts on commander's intent. Well, there's, the, the thing is, when you start conducting operations, you know, with 15 guys, 30 guys, 45 guys, whatever size element you've got out there on the battlefield, you realize really quickly that you can't control everyone. And, and you're not going to be there to make a decision for a fire team leader that's over a berm, getting shot at, getting flanked. He's going to have to make things happen. So if you have in your mind that you're going to be able to control every person out on the battlefield or every person in, the, in a business, you're wrong. And what you have to do is you have to use decentralized command. And one of the key components of that is making sure everyone, everyone understands what the mission is, what the intent is that we want to get done. So that way, when they're separated from you, they can't communicate with you. They don't have time to communicate. They don't have time to ask permission. They don't have time to ask what the next step should be. What they do is they know what the overall broad plan is, and they make a decision and execute. That's what this is. That's what that's a decentralized command is. That's why it's important, and that's why commander's intent is is layered on top of that. Because without commander's intent, the folks in the field can't they can't make decisions because they don't know what where we're trying to go. Yeah, when I've been coaching um, CEOs in the real world, that it's 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 two parts, and I found the challenges, at least for me, when I was trying to to, to educate the folks, it's two parts. I mean, the senior leaders, and I use the word maniacal because maniacally communicate. You can, I don't think you can over communicate what it is you're trying to accomplish and, and why. And then the second part of that is getting the middle and below to have the courage to kind of ask forgiveness instead of permission. Um, I find that if I focused on the middle and below, kind of getting the engine of the organization to embrace it and be courageous, and if they don't know what the big picture is, to ask why before they step fo- step forward with, with some sort of plan, make sure they know why they're doing what they're doing, and kind of tactively push back. To me, that's been the biggest challenge. What do you think about when you hear me say that? You can get bosses. If, if a boss is not doing a good job, then they're not going to want to hear any feedback from their subordinates because they think they know everything. This is, and this is not going to work well. And, and, you know, of course I'm out there all the time telling people that what you want to do is you want to build a culture of decentralized command where every person on the team wants to know why they're doing what they're doing. And if they don't know why they're doing what they're doing, then they're going to raise their hand and ask. And there's some, absolutely are some bosses that, that don't like the sounds of that. The last thing that they want is when I tell Richard to go do something and Richard says, well, why are we doing this boss? And the response is, 
shut up and do what I told you to do. <laughs> right. They think that that's going to make things better, but it's absolutely a horrible way to lead. And when you ask, when, when my subordinate says, Hey, why are we doing this? That means I haven't explained it well. And what I need to do is take some time to make sure that they understand. So that once again, my subordinate leadership can go out there, make decisions and lead. It's kind of, and yeah, and you raise an interesting point, probably the most challenging part is like, what do you do when you, when you get that boss that just absolutely says, Hey, I don't care. Shut up. Damn it. I told you just because I said so, right. It's like what you say to your kid when they've asked you time and time again, you say, because I said so, what do you do when you're on the receiving end of that? What, what advice would you say to that? Well, there's a whole bunch of different things that can happen there. Uh, number one, if you're telling me to do something that, Hey, I think we should, I think we should carry, um, five liters of water and you think we should carry six. Hey, you know what? Not going to be that big, big of a deal. Okay. You want us to carry that? Maybe I just tell guys, Hey, carry what you think you're going to need between five and six. No big deal. I'm not going to, I'm not going to put my, my, right. my sword in the stand over that one. Right. If you've got an idea and it's pretty close, I'm going to say, Hey, you know what boss sounds good. We'll execute it. And, and, and it's not that big of a deal. Um, and what I'm trying to do is I'm actually trying to build a relationship with you. Right. So you tell me to do something. I do it a little bit differently. And guess what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You tell me to do something that doesn't make much sense, but it's going to make us work an extra hour. Okay. You know what? Got it, boss. We'll do it that way. And, and by the way, this doesn't mean I go to my troops and say, Hey guys, this is stupid, but the boss is telling us to do it this way. So right. that's what we're going to do. That's, that's Now, if you're telling me to do something that's sort of borderline where, Maybe this isn't the best plan. Maybe it's going to take, you know, my team an extra hours and we're going to have to work and it's Friday night and you, you've come to me, but you know, it still is not worth me starting to form an antagonistic relationship with you. So I say, okay, boss, got it. You know, you say, you shut up and do what I told you to do. I go, okay, boss, got it. Thanks. Now I go to my troops. What do I tell my troops? So I say, Hey guys, it's going to take an extra few hours, but this is how the boss wants it done. And guys, here's what's going on. Look, I know there's a better way to do it. We all know that. Listen. What I'm trying to do right now, and I need your help, is I need to build a better relationship with my boss so that he actually listens to me when I give him input. So the way he wants us to do it, we're going to do it. We're going to do it to the best of our ability. We're going to knock it out of the park. So that way I have more clout with him. So next time we can, he'll, he'll listen to what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So that's what we're doing over time through performance. I build a better relationship with my boss. And now if something comes down the pipe that actually makes no sense whatsoever, Let's say if it was a tactical situation, you know, it might get someone hurt or killed and I can say, Hey boss, hold on. Here's what you're asking us to do. Here's a reason why it doesn't make sense. And since I've built up a good relationship with him, he goes, Oh, Oh, got it. Jocko. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for the feedback. Let's make some adjustments. So look, you're going to get told to do things that you don't want to do. You've got a way as a leader when you're going to say, okay, you know what? We're going to deal with that. We're going to keep building this relationship. I ended up with all my bosses ever. Always. My bosses listened to what I had to say. They took my input. They, and they did what I wanted to do. And they gave me the support that I needed. That was my whole goal. Did that mean along the way I did some little silly tasks that maybe didn't make sense or I would have done a, a different way? Absolutely. But that's no factor because I'm playing the long game. I'm thinking about the relationship I have with my boss. How can I have the most influence? And the way I do that is by building the relationship. And the way I build the relationship and the way I build trust is by continued performance in my duties. So that's what I'm going to do. I love that. And you're absolutely right. And a couple of critical things there. Um, there are going to be times, like you said, when a decision is going to come down that you don't agree with and, and, and you got to pick your battles, like you said, when, to, when to put the sword in the sand or not, but those times when, and I do think it, it, one of my mentors told me a long time ago, 
he said, it's not my right to challenge him. It's, it's my obligation. And I use that in the cockpit as well. And I think that whenever we can disagree or we can, we can hash it out behind the scenes and whenever decision is made, whatever that decision is, and maybe I disagree with it, how you present it when you walk outside of that room is so critical. There's nothing I don't think more poisonous if, if you walked out, like you said in your example, and you said, hey, look, hey, boss wants to do this, you know, and, and you're kind of discrediting the boss or kind of violating the chain of command. It's so powerful, like the way you said it, like, hey, I know there's a better way to do it, but hey, I need your help with this because I'm trying to build a relationship here. Having that authenticity, that transparency in front of the troops is, is the key. And it sounds so simple when, when you talk about it. In the heat of the battle, though, we let our emotions get to us, it seems like a lot of times, and we, and we, and we fail. I, I love the fact that the intentionality behind helping your senior leaders become better leaders, right? I think that's, that's the key, what I got out of what you said. The intentionality about how can I add value to this relationship and build this relationship? I don't think a lot of leaders go into it realizing that that's, that's kind of part of their, their task. Yeah, my, my goal is always to build relationships with every conversation that I have with everybody on my team up and down the chain of command. Absolutely. Because what is a team? A team is a bunch of people that have relationships. And if those relationships in the team are stronger, then the team is stronger. So every conversation I have, I'm trying to build those relationships. You set out to write leadership strategy and tactics as field manual. I mean, you've, you've written so many great, great books already. What was the intent behind this? The, the intent behind this book is that people understand what the principles are of leadership. But I think what people miss sometimes is that there's actual maneuvers you can make. There's actual techniques you can use. There's strategies and tactics that you can learn and you can execute. And people miss out on that. And they end up, you know, like trying to, you know, when you, when you, when you're out on the battlefield, we have immediate action drills, right? Like there's, there's immediate action drills that you do as an infantryman. When you get contacted from the front, there's an, there's an immediate action drill. There's a move that you can do when you're, if you're playing football, there's, you get into a certain situation at a certain yard line, there's a play that you can execute. And then players, when they're being guarded a certain way, they can execute little tactics to free themselves up on the field. On the battlefield, there's little strategies and tactics that a rifleman can use to make him harder to be shot, to make him, to make his field of fire open up. There's things that people can do. And I think what I see as I work with leaders all the time, they needed to learn some of those actual moves. So that's what this book is filled with, actual things that you can do as a leader so that your performance as a leader will improve, which will thereby improve the performance of your team. Yeah, it's one of those things where I think leadership is so easy to understand, right? But it's so difficult to implement. And I think back to, to the challenges I had at leadership. I mean, I've, obviously the Marine Corps, I was immersed in it, but there was no like you said, tactics are telling me, what do I do in this situation? So is this something that I could pick off the shelf and say, hey, w what do I do here? Um, I'm not feeling really confident today as a leader. Um, is there something in that manual that could help me with that? Yeah, that's what the whole manual is. You know, what, what, what situation are you running into? Oh, I've got, a, I've got a subordinate that's got a negative attitude. What should I do? Yeah. You know, oh, I'm, I'm taking over a team where I'm younger than everyone and, and everyone's more experienced than me. What should I do? It's just that's what the book is filled with is, you know, what if what if we've got rumors going on? How do I put rumors? How do I subdue those rumors from, you know, going throughout my throughout my team? What if I've got people that are stressed out? How do I handle that? What if I've got to give counsel to someone that's stepping outside or, or failing in their duties? Right. What do I do there? What do I do if I don't get picked as a leader? So they pick someone else. How do I handle that? 
uh, you know, so this, that's what this book is, is filled with. Let's talk about some of those, some of those that, that you mentioned there. Let's talk about, I know one of the things you talk about there is, is this imposter syndrome. I know when I, 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 every time I get in a new leadership role and the confidence level isn't, isn't high. And I feel like, man, I feel like I don't belong in this space. I mean, who am I to be in, in this role? Talk to me about the imposter syndrome. I think the imposter, imposter syndrome is something that it's for me, I don't view it as a, as a negative thing, right. a strictly negative thing. It, it, there's some positive things to it. So if, if I get put into a leadership position and I don't think I'm quite ready for it, well, guess what I'm going to do then? I'm going to prepare for it. I'm going to invest about a lot of time and effort. I'm going to seek counsel from the other members of the team so that I can consolidate good ideas and, and put forth the best plan. So all these things are things that I'm going to do if I don't quite think I'm ready for the position. And all those things are positive. The, the leader that comes in goes, you're dang right. I should be running things. <laughs> right. Everyone listen to me. I don't want to work for that guy. He's arrogant. So the imposter syndrome re- reflects a little bit of humility. And I think it's a positive thing. Now, can it become negative if you actually don't have confidence and you display that to your team that you don't feel comfortable leading and you don't think you can make good decisions? Yeah, that's going to be bad. So just like with anything else in leadership, there has to be a balance. Yeah, that that level of authenticity and transparency, I think it's something that's that's often overlooked or that even that level of vulnerability. There's tremendous strength in that authenticity and that ability to be humble. I don't know why we feel like we got to act like whatever we think the leader's supposed to be. I think sometimes admitting that you don't know what the right solution is, but you say it with confidence, that builds confidence and trust faster than anything else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Anytime you walk into a team and you don't know what you're doing and you try and act like it, every single person on the team sees right through that. Absolutely. So don't, don't do that. What do, t- tell me some of the, the lessons, of the, the hard leadership lessons that, that you learned. I, I call them like splat moments. And I can think back to particularly in aviation and, and even in the corporate arena where I felt, it's always like I, when I felt like I had it all figured out, and it was kind of like, yeah, I've kind of arrived, right? And I'm putting my feet up on the desk. And I always had a big, big fall right after that. Did, did you have anything like that in your 20 years with the SEALs? Yeah. I, mean, uh, I mean, I'll tell you, I was usually more on the imposter syndrome of, of always thinking, okay, what could I do better? I, I, I was never the guy that was going, okay, cool, I've made it. I'll right. put my feet up on the desk and I, I've got everything figured out. That, that was not really my attitude. Most of the time I was, I was thinking, okay, uh, I'm, I'm the guy in charge and I got this whole team that is relying on me to make good decisions, relying on me to be prepared. So what I need to do is study, train, reflect, ask for advice, listen to other people and really delve into trying to do a good job. So, you know, as far as me stepping back and saying, I got this, I, I, I never, I never really, I never really did that. You know, maybe it's uh, that level of imposter syndrome on me was, was, was pretty solid. Uh, but of course, there's times where I learned lessons and they were very valuable lessons. And, you know, I even I kind of lay out the, the very first section of this book lays out kind of the first three fundamental lessons of 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 leadership that I started to kind of formulate my entire leadership principle uh, uh, on. So I, I talk about that in the book, you know, the first one being learning, learning how to detach. You know, I was going on a going on a training operation, we were clearing a big oil rig and we got to a point or an oil platform, you know, out in the ocean. And we got to a point where we were clearing what's called the cellar deck, which is like the first main level of the oil platform. And as we spilled out onto the deck, you know, a bunch of whatever, 15, 16, 16 seals abreast 
staring at this very complex level of an oil platform with equipment all over it and gear on all over it and a bunch of dead space. And everyone's just standing there in a skirmish line, staring at it, looking down their weapons, looking for potential targets to engage in. And we're standing there for 10 seconds and then 20 seconds and then 30 seconds and then 40 seconds. And eventually I, I, I just, I was waiting for a call and waiting for a call and I was a new guy. So I wasn't the one that was supposed to be making a call. You know, I had a platoon chief. I had a platoon commander. I had an assistant platoon commander. I had a leading petty officer. Any one of those guys should have been making a call and no one was making a call. And after what seemed like forever, but it was probably only 30 or 40 seconds, I just took a step back and I looked to the left and looked to the right. And I saw that everyone else in the platoon was staring down their, staring down their weapons. Even my leadership was all staring down, my, all standing down, staring down their weapons. And so finally I said, I, you know, I made a tactical call. I said, hold left, clear right, which is a pretty basic fundamental call. And when I made that call, I was half expecting everyone just to tell me to you know, shut up new guy, but instead they passed the word and we did exactly what I had said. And when we got done clearing the platform, you know, one of the, during the debrief, someone said, Hey, good call on the cellar deck to me, a new guy. And I was surprised and I was happy. But I also sat there and said to myself, why was I, the junior guy, the youngest guy, the least experienced guy, why was I able to make a decision? The reason I was able to make a decision is because I looked around, I, I detached from the situation, I took a step back, and once I did that, I could see what needed to happen. So like that right there, once now it wasn't like a eureka moment where I said, oh, great, now I know how to lead. <laughs> right. No, now I said, wait, that worked there. Maybe I'll try it in this land warfare situation. Maybe I'll try it when we're um, assaulting a target, a, a, a land target. And I started using it all the time. And then the more I used it, the more it reinforced that this was in fact the best way to operate, especially from a leadership perspective, take a step back, detach, look around so you can make a good decision. So there's an example of kind of how these principles started to formulate in my brain over time. I love that. I love that example of like, and you're right. I think a, a key aspect of leadership is the more like in aviation, we would call it getting the big picture, right? It's like, it's like you never want to get channel locked on one certain thing. You're always trying to pull yourself back, pull yourself back, pull yourself back. So, so you can see at a different level. And I love that intentionality behind that. You, you talk about, there were three kind of baseline fundamentals there in that first chapter. What was the second one? Well, the second one, I had a platoon commander that was was not good. And he was inexperienced, which is not the end of the world for someone to be inexperienced. In fact, it happens all the time in the military, as you know. You, you Or it happens in the civilian sector, too, right? Someone comes from college, or even if they're not coming from college, they're coming from a different job, a different environment, and they get put in a leadership position, and they don't have the experience. It happens all the time. As long as someone's humble and listens and asks for suggestions, you can, you can lead fine. Uh, in this particular case, this guy didn't want to hear anything from anybody, giant ego, wouldn't listen, wouldn't take input. And we ended up having a mutiny against the guy and we got him fired. And once that happened, which I, you know, I, again, I'm probably, well, probably 21, 22 years old at this time, very, you know, young and dumb and gung ho, but I probably wouldn't have recognized the fact, look, I knew we didn't like the guy, but I, and I kind of knew why it was, it was, I, I kind of knew why it was because he didn't listen to us and every plan was his plan. And he, you know, it was my way or the highway from him. So I probably would, I, I noticed it a little bit, but it really became crystal clear when the guy that came to take his, take over his position as a platoon commander 
was a super experienced guy Mm -hmm. who was also extremely humble. And that guy listened to us, took input, gave us ownership, let us plan things. He was just a phenomenal leader. So when I learned, that's where I learned really the difference between arrogance and humility. And I realized that being a humble leader is the most important characteristic for a leader to have is to be humble. And then in my third platoon, there was a, a similar situation to my first platoon where there was a call that needed to be made, I thought, and I stepped up and made the call. And when we debriefed, my platoon commander said, hey, well, why did you make that call? And I said, well, no one was making a call and I, I knew what we needed to do. And he said, well, actually, I didn't want to do that. I wanted to assault through the target, not break contact. So we ended up not doing what we should have done. And at that point, I realized that, you know, I, I did, I, as a leader, even as a leader, even if you want to be a leader, sometimes it's much better to be a follower and you need to not worry. You know, it's, if you need to make a decision, sure, make it but give people time and you're not the center of the focus and, and you need to most importantly support the leader, support the team and support the execution of the mission. So those are kind of the big three coming out of those first three deployments that I did as a SEAL back in the nineties. So many great, great lessons. And I know when I first got in the Marine Corps and I'm an introverted guy and I'm, I'm in this kind of organization that has a lot of type A personalities and I felt like, man, I got to be this certain way. And like you said, that when I got into the Marine Corps, I started working with some great officers and, and some bad ones. And some of the great ones, they had this presence about them, and but they weren't, like you said, this stereotypical mindset of what I think thought a Marine Corps officer should be like. They were sometimes introverted. They were sometimes quirky, but they had a presence about them. They had a confidence about them. And <clears throat> what I saw was it was this, this deep uh, affection or love for the people they were accountable for. And I said that I, I do think the Marine Corps was the most loving organization I've ever worked in. As you get more elite and more small unit like the SEALs, I can imagine that it was a very loving organization. What do you think when you hear me say that? Uh, it's an interesting take. I, I, the word that I use is that I think that in the SEAL teams, I mean, you hear it called a brotherhood. And we care about each other and love each other like brothers and we'll take care of each other. And yeah, that's the underpinning of, of what a good leader's doing. A good leader is trying to make sure that his men are okay, take care of his bros. That's what, that's what it is. Yeah. And, and the leaders that I looked up to were, like you said, that, that, that humble leader that asked questions that admitted when they knew they were wrong, that asked for feedback input, but they weren't hesitant on making decisions and they stood by their decisions and the accountability piece, right? I mean, that's, that's the part that I think is, I see lacking in the corporate arena is the inability to make decisions with partial information and the ability to be accountable for those decisions. But especially when they go wrong. Those are where I see kind of the, the areas for the most improvement in, particularly in, in the corporate sectors that I've been involved with, involved in. So, well, you know, that's the, the title of the first book that I wrote with my brother, Leif Babin. It's called Extreme Ownership. And it is, that's what the first chapter is about. When you make a mistake, you own it. Don't make any excuses. Don't blame anybody else. You own the mistake. And if you're scared that when you, admit that you made a mistake or you take ownership for a mistake. If you think people aren't going to respect you anymore, the opposite is actually true. They'll respect you more. And if you sit there and make excuses and blame other people, their respect for you will go down. So absolutely take, take ownership of what's going on. Who do you hope reaches out and gets this book? I mean, obviously I can see how it can be used all up and down the chain, but who are you hoping to really reach with this book? Oh, everybody that's in a leadership position is going to get this book and, and they're, you know, you're going to look at it and realize, oh, 
I, I've done something close to that before, but there it is in black and white. I can use that as a tool. Or, hey, I always have a problem handling this situation. What, what does Jocko do here? Oh, okay, I see that'll work. So hey, people in leadership positions up and down the chain of command, they're going to get this book inside every organization. They're going to benefit from it. It comes out Tuesday, the 14th of January. What else are you on the pipe with Echelon Front and everything else that you're doing? You know, Echelon Front, we, we've, we've grown uh, We've grown a lot. We've got, we're working with a lot of companies across the country and, and the world right now. And so that's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. We're focused on teaching these principles that we learned. And now we've seen them employed in scores of companies all over different industries, different sizes. And we get to see the success over and over again. So that's what we're going to continue to do. Well, Jocko, it's been a thrill to have you on the show. How can people get in touch with you? How can people find more about you? Uh, well, I'm on social media, the kind of the standard social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Jocko Willink. I've written a bunch of books. I have a podcast called Jocko Podcast, and that's pretty much it, man. I'm just kind of driving on. Well, like I said, I appreciate everything that you're doing and a a big fan and a big support of you over the years. and, And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for your service in the Marine Corps. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Dose of Leadership. I do appreciate your support. If you could do a couple things for me, go subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast app. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher. And if you could do that for me, I would truly appreciate it. Also, if you're interested in working with me, if you're interested in some team leadership training, go to doseofleadership.com and check out Legacy Leader Blueprint. I understand how difficult it can be to get effective leadership training for your team. It never seems like you have the time or the budget. My course, Legacy Leader Blueprint, solves that problem. Quality leadership training that doesn't disrupt your busy schedule or break your budget. 20 high-impact videos and 6 hours of live group coaching with me that will allow you and your team to become true leaders of influence. I will teach you how to defeat mediocrity and stagnation, create high-impact cultures of initiative, and build empowered teams with high degrees of trust. Go check out doseofleadership.com, click on Legacy Leader Blueprint, and enroll your team today.